0: Let's open our Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 29. We have tried to prepare this one. We only have three more chapters to go in Proverbs. We'll try to take the 29th tonight. Chapter 29 is learning to be a good listener, by the way. And all the way through, we need to listen to several things. In verse 1, it says, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. Here's a man that seems to be beyond reform, that he will not change his mind. He just keeps on hardening his neck and resisting the Holy Spirit, one that God deals with and he doesn't want to listen. And if God wounds, who can heal but the Lord? The Word of God warns all to flee from the wrath to come and flee to the hope that is set before us in Jesus Christ. And this man seems to not be the kind that will listen to anything. The first thing we want to point out, there are several uh, things that we want to say about listening. And the first one is listening to civil authorities. And you'll find that in verses 2, 4, 12, and 14 and some of the things in between. Notice these verses. When the righteous are in authority, notice the word authority in verse 2. Notice, notice verse 4, the king, by judgment, we're talking about civil authorities. Look at verse 12, if a ruler, and then in verse 14, the king again, that faithfully judges the poor. So some people will not listen to civil authorities. And it says in verse 2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Just by nature of the case, when the righteous are in authority, people rejoice because they're not under heavy burdens. They're not being pressured. They're not being dealt with uh, unjustly, but they're dealt with in the right way. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. They have a great deal to mourn about, too. Because wicked people do nothing but bring harm upon uh, the ones that they're in authority over. So we're to listen to authorities and civil authorities, but remember, there are two kinds of authority. There's wicked and there's righteous. And we want to have, you know, we, we're going to have a righteous government someday. When the Lord's in authority, we're going to have much rejoicing. Here the people rejoice even in this earth when they have the righteous are in authority. But when the wicked bear beareth rule, the people mourn. In verse 3 it says, and by the way, here we're listening to family authority in verse three. Let me let me. Uh, I've given you four verses where it says uh, civil authority, and we'll get those as we go along. We gave you verse two, verse four, verse twelve, and verse fourteen. But listening to family authority, look at verse three and verse fifteen and verse seventeen. Verse three says, "Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father." We're talking about family authority. But he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth. His substance. Look at verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but the child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Look at verse 17. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give a delight unto thy soul. So we have family authority as well as civil authorities. And then we're going to find that we need to listen to spiritual authority. And let me just give you these out, this outline as we... Look at it, and then we'll come back and take it verse by verse again. But we need to listen to spiritual authority. Look at verse uh, 13. Verse 13 and 25 and 26. It says, The poor and deceitful man meet together. The Lord lighteneth both their eyes. God is the one who gives spiritual enlightenment. And then verse 25 and 26 says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. And then in verse 27, an unjust man is an abomination, is abomination to the just, and he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. So we find that uh, we need to listen to spiritual authority as well. And you might say from these verses, these key verses on downward, you find the overlapping of, of uh, civil, civil authority and, and family authority from verses two, right on down through verse 17. And then you come back in verse 13 through the rest of the chapter has to do with spiritual authority. Three things. And we need to learn to be a good listener to all of these. Now then, in verse 3 is where we pick up with a, with a verse again and verse by verse study. It says, Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father. A son that will listen, that will be taught, and loves the word of God. The Bible says... The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. So the person that loves wisdom, first of all, must love the fear of the Lord and reverence the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. So, in order to rejoice his father, he first needs to be a child of God and walk in fear of God. And whoso loveth wisdom, then he has a love for wisdom, rejoiceth his father. But he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. He that keepeth company with harlots. We talk about ruinous lusts here. The things that destroy uh, people. Young men and old men. He that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. We think of the prodigal son that he... Ask all that he could get from his father, his inheritance, and he went away into a far country. And there, what? Wasted his substance with riotous living. Keepeth company with harlots, spendeth his substance. And then he began to be in want, didn't he? You know, there's always a price to pay for sin. There's always a price to pay for, that, for an ungodly life. And I don't believe that a, a true child of God, a Christian, can ever be happy trying to live away from God. I believe God is going to convict you and, and uh, quicken your conscience and disturb your peace so much that you'll say, you cannot be happy. You go to places you ought not to go and do things you ought not to do and start living an ungodly and a lustful and a sinful life. And you see if you're not the most unhappy person, if you're a child of God, you will be the most unhappy person, you will say, I'm seeking happiness with worldly pleasures And carnal lusts and sinful pleasures. You'll never be happy. You'll be the most miserable person upon the face of this earth. Because your conscience will convict you. You'll know you shouldn't be where you are. You'll know you shouldn't do what you're doing. Someone says, that doesn't bother me. I'm afraid it does. Even a man that is not a Christian knows better And his conscience either excuses him or accuses him. The Bible says when the Gentiles who have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the, the law of God written on their hearts. Their conscience either accusing them or excusing them at the same time. Have you ever heard people say, well, I didn't know any better? Or I didn't know this was a sin or that was a sin. I'm afraid you did. Just probably when you first stepped into it, you, you knew you were doing wrong. And you ought to be, as a Christian, as a child of God, you ought to thank God for, a, for a, a quickened conscience. A conscience that's easy to be disturbed. A conscience that's easy to be dealt with. A conscience that whenever you do something wrong, that you'll immediately know that it's wrong. And I really believe that it's a good thing for you to have that kind of a conscience. Some people have a conscience that they have sinned so against their conscience so often and so many times that they pay no attention to it anymore. It's like a callus or it's like being seared over with a hot iron. You take a callus on your hand. You take men that work in heavy work, concrete work or building or construction or whatever. You get calluses and hard places on your hand. Well, you can stick a needle there or uh, cut it with a thorn or a little piece of board or something, uh, hit it. It doesn't matter. It's calloused over, isn't it? You don't feel it. And that's the way a lot of people's conscience are. It's kind of dead. That's dead hide and dead skin there. And it's very thick. And when you have a dead conscience, you, you do the same thing. You better be praying for a lively and quickened and completely live conscience. So it says, Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. Now look at this uh, fourth verse. The king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. A country's stability rests upon a king's judgment and righteous judgment. But a king that receives gifts or bribes overthrows it. He'll be sold out. By the way, the king by judgment establishes the land. Jesus is the only true king, and he's going to establish true judgment in the day that he rules and reigns upon this earth in the millennium. And until then, we won't have a really perfect righteous uh, government. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. Causes foolish conduct. A man that flattereth his neighbor—that's, you know, what he does. He tells him and makes him believe that he's something that he's not. That's what you do when you flatter your neighbor. You make him believe that they're better than they are. And uh, when you do that, it's a—you're uh, spreading a net, a trap for his feet. In other words, it's—it's it's going to cause him to be lifted up with pride. Paul tells Timothy, he says, "Not a novice." lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. You can tell a young preacher so many times that he's so good and so wonderful that the first thing you know, he gets to believe in it. And you know, I found out that God can do without any of us. He was here before any of us became. And He'll be here after we're all gone. No man is indispensable and when you flatter someone, and usually to do it, you're telling lies about them. Now, it doesn't mean that you cannot honor anyone. It doesn't mean that you cannot respect people for what they are and for what they do. You can show respect without telling a lie about them. And then on the other hand, it says in verse um, 6, In the transgression of an evil man, there is a snare. We're talking about sin's entanglements. There's a snare. In the transgression of an evil man. But the righteous does sing and rejoice. You walk at liberty and you walk in safety when you walk in righteousness and walk with God. Verse 7 says, The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not uh, to know it. Here's care for the underprivileged. The righteous it the cause of the poor. Do you have a a care for those that are are underprivileged or that need help? But the wicked regardeth not to know it. They don't want to even know anything about it. They'll turn their eyes against it. They want to be blinded to it. And then in verse 8 it says, Scornful men bring a city into a snare. Scornful men are those that mock at things that are sacred and serious. Remember, we've been studying and preaching in Peter, where it says, Scoffers will arise in the last day, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? And they make fun of what? Of the promise of Christ's coming. They said, For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. Well, that's not true, but they thought that anyway. And uh, Peter goes on to say, This they are willingly the ignorant of. They forgot about Noah's day and about the flood and about the judgment of God in those days. And therefore, they don't believe that there's a fiery judgment coming in the future. Scorners. Scornful men bring a city into a snare. But wise men turn away wrath. Actually, you have scornful men and wise men. You have troublemakers and peacemakers. Wise men turn away wrath. They try to uh, ensue peace. Jesus said, blessed are the what? Peacemakers right? Uh, Abraham said to Lot when his herdmen were at odds, he says, let there be no strife among us, right? If you can have people that say, look, we don't want this kind of a fuss and fight going on. We don't want that. And people, men of reason will listen to that. But sometimes a hot-headed person will not. They just will not uh, talk about it. You have troublemakers, And peacemakers. Look at verse 9. If a wise man contendeth with a foolish man, whether he rage or laugh, there is no rest. Any controversy that you have with a fool, you know what it brings? No good is done. There's nothing accomplished. Look at that verse again. If a wise man contend with a foolish man, whether he rage or laugh, there is no rest. You can't, you can't do any good regardless of what you do when you have controversy with a fool. And then in verse 10 it says, The bloodthirsty hate the upright, but the just seek his soul. Good men, the bloodthirsty hate the upright. That means good men are persecuted. Remember, Jesus said, Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he said, That great is their reward in heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. What? When they do that? Rejoice. Be happy. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Listen. You know what? If the folks that were persecuting you and causing you all the trouble knew that they were just giving you some extra rewards in heaven, they'd probably quit it right away. they say, I don't want to give that guy any more rewards if they really thought you were getting them. That's exactly what Jesus said he was going to get. So then... Uh, The fellows really think he's doing you harm when he's really adding up some more rewards for you in heaven. Now look at the next verse. It says, uh, well, the last part of that verse. But the just seek his soul. In spite of the wickedness of men, they seek for their salvation. Look at that verse. That's kind of eye-opening, isn't it? You need to look at it to see what we're talking about. The bloodthirsty hate the upright. But the just... He He seeks his soul. He seeks for his salvation. That's why people put up with uh, wicked men all around about and their persecution and their their, uh, bloodthirsty hate is because they care about their souls. And then in verse 11 it says, A fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it till afterwards. We're talking about, you know, a fool uttereth all his mind. He tells everything he knows. Usually it doesn't take him very long either. Uh, does it. But, but a wise man keepeth it till afterwards. That means there's self-control. Self-control. And then in the verse 12 it says, If a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. If a ruler hearkens to lies, all his servants are wicked. It means if you have false masters, you have false men. It produces. In other words, here's the fruit of a ruler that is that kind of a ruler. In verse uh, 13, look at this. The poor and deceitful man meet together. Look, the poor and the deceitful man, the user, the deceitful, meet together. But it says, the Lord lighteneth both their eyes. They both have a common blessing for the Lord because His grace, He gives His grace to both classes of people. To some it profits and to others it does not. The poor and the deceitful meet together. Let's look at verse uh, 14. It says, The king that faithfully judgeth the poor, his throne shall be established forever. The king who wins loyalty, he faithfully judgeth the poor. The poor and the needy, the prince must defend and plead for. And by him doing this, if he's the right kind of king or right kind of prince or right kind of ruler, his throne shall be established forever. You know why? This kind of rule will be established because God is behind that kind of rule. And the other kind of rule, the wicked king, you you know, if you go back and study the kings in the Old Testament, you'll find the more wicked they are, the quicker they were, somebody took their place. You study one right after another. There was, I think there was one series of kings that lasted two and three and four months apiece, and some of them, you know, maybe even, I think there was one about a month. I mean, he was on the throne and somebody got rid of him. And the next guy was just that guy that was so wicked that got rid of him. Another guy got rid of him. And it's just a chain reaction. Because a a kingdom is not established by wickedness. It's established by justice. The king that faithfully judges the poor, his throne shall be established forever. We know that when Jesus comes, he's going to establish everything in righteousness. And he's going to care for the, the poor and the needy and the... The down and the outcast and the underprivileged is all through the Old Testament in the book of uh, Deuteronomy and uh, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. Let's say Exodus and Deuteronomy, especially where the law is laid down for the poor to be provided for. When you plow your field, leave the corners of the field. And when you glean your harvest, leave that which you pass over for the widow and the orphan and for the needy, poor and the needy. See, God says, it's theirs. Don't go back and try to get it. Don't try to get everything in your own barn. Leave, somebody else, leave some of it for somebody else along the way. Let's try to put it in modern day language. Don't try to get everything for yourself. Leave a little bit for the other folks. You see, some people, we've got people in our country that have not only millions of dollars, but billions of dollars. And you know, I'm not saying that they, some of them made it from, from the jump Go. But on the other hand, when you get that wealthy, you ought to be helping somebody. I'll guarantee you, friend. You ought to be, you ought to be sharing it with somebody else because you don't need all that kind of money. There, nobody needs a million dollars. You say, well, that's not, in this day and hour, not a whole lot of money. It's still a whole lot of money. I don't care who, who, who says it. And when you talk about billions, you sure ought to be sharing some of it and spreading it around to help people. And it says in verse 15, The rod and reproof giveth wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Parents must consider the benefit of due correction and the mischief of undue indulgence. You let your child indulge in everything and never bring any correction. It says the rod and reproof giveth what? Wisdom. And the reason children are like they are today is told a story about a, about a little boy in a grocery store and just running over his mother and running, getting what he wanted and raising all kinds of ruckus up and down every aisle and and uh, his mother tried to correct him. He wouldn't have anything to do with it and finally the grocerman walked up and he whispered something in his ear and that little old boy walked over, stood by his mother and went right along with her and just was quiet as a mouse and she went over to the grocery and says, listen, I want to know what you did. He says, I told that kid if he didn't quit, I was going to beat the devil out of him. <laughs> So, you know, I think just the threat of it changed his mind, didn't it? And you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of correction along the way. And if we fail to do it, we're just as guilty. Parents must consider the benefit of due correction, let me state that again, and the mischief of undue indulgence. And then in verse uh, 16, it says, When the wicked are multiplied, transgressions." Transgression increaseth. But, it says, the righteous shall see their fall. Don't be shocked when the wicked are multiplied and increased. But have patience and see what God will do about it. The righteous shall see their fall. Because God says that whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Look at verse uh, 17. It says, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Through discipline there is delight that is brought unto the parents through proper correction and discipline. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give, thee, give delight unto thy soul. If you fail to correct them, they will not give thee rest, and they will not give you delight. We have so many today that are not trying to honor their fathers and mothers. And by the way, sometimes you and I, as fathers and mothers, bring it on ourselves by not bringing the correction that we need to, to bring. It says in verse 18, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The vision of the gospel that needs to be held forth, hold forth the gospel of Christ. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We need to have a vision to know that the only way to When people is to preach the Word. And the Bible tells us that people are begotten through the Word of God. In James 1, I believe it's verse 18, it says, Of His own will begat He us with what? With the Word of truth. You're begotten, He says, I have begotten you through the Gospel, Paul says. The Bible says the Gospel is the power of God unto what? Salvation to everyone that believe it. It doesn't need any props. It has power enough to do it. You call, because the Gospel tells us the the very factual things that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I declare unto you the Gospel how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Okay? That means that we're sinners then if He died for our sins, right? And that means that our sins brought had to be Uh, paid for by his death. That means that he finished that work. I mean, you talk about preaching the gospel. Look at the facts. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Well, the Scriptures tell us then that we're sinners. The Scriptures tell us that He died for our sins. The Scriptures tell us that He loved us and voluntarily did this work for us. The Bible tells us that the God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son for this purpose. He was the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried He rose again the third day for our justification. Guaranteeing our justification. Uh, Romans, the last, uh, the fourth chapter, the last three verses, tells us that uh, this was not written for Abraham's sake alone; that it was imputed to him. Listen, but for us also, if we believe on him who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, what's it going to be? It shall be imputed or counted to us also. What is the it? God's righteousness shall be counted, imputed, or reckoned to us also. You see, people need to know the gospel. The gospel has to do with the facts, doesn't it? Of Christ's death and burial and resurrection and what it means to anyone who will accept and believe that gospel. And this is the power of God. God uses this to... cause men to be saved. This is the power of God. The Holy Spirit takes this and applies it to your heart and life and makes you see you're a sinner and makes you see Jesus died for your sins and makes you see that because He did die, He rose again the third day and therefore you're justified. Therefore, Romans five one, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You couldn't have peace if you knew that God was angry at you because of your sin. But you do have peace because you know He's no longer angry at you because of sin. Because Jesus suffered that anger, that judgment on the cross. And the very facts of the gospel brings peace. And it's the power of God. And in uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Alright, let's go back to this. It says in verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Look at verse 19. It says, A servant will not be corrected by words, for though he understands, he will not answer. You're talking about a stubborn man, a stubborn servant. He will not be corrected by words, and though he understands, he will not answer. He just stands and sits rebellious and in stubbornness. Look at verse 20. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. A man that is hasty in his words. There is more hope of a fool than of him. Here is a man that is unresponsive. Here is a man that will not listen. Here is a man that speaks often and hears little. Remember we said that this chapter has to do with learning to be a good listener. And evidently this man will not listen. In verse 21. He that... Delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his son at the end at the length, rather. Delicately bringeth up a child, bringeth up a servant from a child, rather, shall have him become his son. In other words, you pamper that servant. Show him too many favors, and the first thing you know, he will forget his place. He'll think he owns you. He'll think he has the, the best place. Now then, I believe in treating employ em, employees right. You treat an employee right, but you start letting an employee take all the advantage, and the first thing you know, he'll be running. He'll try to be the employer instead of the employee. That's right. He'll start trying to run things himself. You see, there has to be a boss, and there has to be authority, and there has to be leadership. I don't care what realm you're in, somebody's got to be in charge. And if it's If it's everybody's business, it's nobody's business. Have you ever thought of that? If everyone is dependent upon to do a certain job, then you'll find that nobody will do it. They say, well, I thought they were going to do it. I thought that one was going to do it. I thought somebody else was going to do it. Well, never mind thinking about who is going to do it. The person that's responsible to do it is supposed to do it. That's the one that does it. And it says, he that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his son at the at, at length, at the length, he'll want to take his place and he'll want to just control things and do. Uh, he'll, he'll really forget his place. Many people have forgotten their place in life today and do not show respect to those that are over them. In verse 22, an angry man stirreth up strife and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. He's provoking both to man and God. He stirs up strife to man, he abounds in transgression, he provokes the Lord. In verse 23, it says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. You're talking about pride and humility. The Bible says that he that exalteth himself shall be what? Abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The Bible tells us to, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Some people want to be humbled, and then they say, Now I've been humbled enough, now I'm ready to be exalted. Well, they're not very humble. Have you ever heard that saying about this fellow that says uh, I want you to get my book my my great book my great great book on humility and how I obtained it. <laughs> <laughs> Who's okay, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Honor. Now look in verse uh, 24. We have four more verses. We want to get them all. It says, Whoso is partner with a thief hateth his own soul. You don't do yourself any good. He heareth cursing and bereath it not. In other words, he doesn't say anything about it. This is the unequal yoke. Partner. Whoso is partner with a thief. Have you said anything about the thief and his thievery? He that heareth cursing. Have you said anything about his cursing and bereath it not? You don't even rebuke him. The receiver is as bad as the giver of this, and is a, as the thief, the doer of it. You sit by and you let someone do these things, and you take the benefit of it. You say, no, he's the thief. I just took what he gave me, you know. It's like, you know, Brother Walker will relate to this, I'm sure, and... Police work. You can go out here to a pawn shop. An old guy says, Oh, I just bought it from that guy. Yeah, and he knew, it was, he knew it was stolen when he bought it too. I mean, a lot of those guys, they know it's stolen goods that they receive. And if they have any inkling that it is, they should never uh, buy some of that stuff that they do. But you know, that's just one, probably a feeble example, but maybe somewhat. But anyway, let's look at the next one. In verse 25, it says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. It, if you put your trust in the Lord, you'll be what? safe? you be secure. The Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? See, if God is for you, it doesn't make any difference how many fellows are resisting and the devil raising all kinds of ruckus and causing a lot of trouble. If God be for us, who can be against us? The Lord has been blessing our church lately. And the devil, I know he's going to try to do a lot of things, but just don't pay any attention to him. The Bible says, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. And the Bible tells us that your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Someone says, oh, I'm scared to death. He's going to get me. I'm not. It says, whom resists steadfast in the faith. There's the answer. The next verse tells you how to deal with it. Jesus said he used the Word of God. He took this... Uh, that sharp, double-edged sword of the Spirit. And every time Satan would come with his temptation, Jesus said, but it is written. And then he came with another, and he says, well, it's written. He came again, and he says, it's written. And you and I can do exactly the same thing. And that's the way we ought to do it. It says, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says in earlier Proverbs, It says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. In verse 26, it says, Many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. I'd rather have God's favor, hadn't you? That's what it says here. Many seek the ruler's favor. Have you ever seen fellows that want to hobnob with the high ups? But it says, But every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. You just hobnob with the Lord a little bit. And see where you get. You'll be far better off. You know, it never bothers me. These fellows on the social ladder and on the the high ladder of society, that doesn't bother me a bit. And you ought to get to the place that it doesn't bother you, friend. You say, preacher, I'm not saying you have to follow me, but I'm saying the principle of it. God says He's no respecter of persons. I'm telling you, the Gospel is a leveler, isn't it? It's like Noah's Ark. It had one entrance and one door, isn't it? And Jesus said, I'm the door. By me, if any man, rich or poor, bond or free, high or low, enter in, he shall be saved. So it says, many seek the ruler's favor, but every man's judgment cometh from the Lord. And the last one, it says in verse 27, an unjust man is an abomination to the just. And he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. You have the choice of of partners, or the, and the choice of paths at the same time. If you an unjust man, it's an abomination to the just. And the upright in the way is abomination to the wicked. You have two sides here given. Kind of reminds you of the first psalm, doesn't it? Psalm one: Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Lord, walketh, standeth, sitteth. You walk first, and then you say, well, did you stand around? And the first thing you sit down. You're getting a little closer all the time, aren't you? And it says, "Blessed the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And it tells us, that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and by his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted. I I read the other day in one of the new versions, it's it's kind of prose or uh, uh, paraphrase, I guess you'd say. And they kind of rob it of its effect. You know why? It says it's like a tree that's, that's uh, out, out by the river. It doesn't say that. It's like a tree planted. God planted it. He put it there on purpose. And He planted it by the rivers of water, which bring forth its fruit in its season. It was meant to be that way. You see, a lot of these fellows that try to just take the, the spiritual application out of the Word of God they rob it of its spiritual power by just saying this or that or the other. And you better stick to get you a good King James Version of the Bible and you stick with it. They've got a half a dozen kind. doesn't hurt to compare sometimes, but I'll tell you one thing. You can't beat this. And it says, And he that is upright in the way uh, is abomination to the wicked. You read that whole first Psalm, the six verses of it, and it'll tell you both the first three verses have to do with the righteous and the last three, the wicked. It says, but the ungodly are not so. They are like the chap which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And you have that last verse will very aptly apply to the, the first psalm.